you're welcome that we're not part of the worship team. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, guys, uh, just listen to that song earlier that Robin was singing uh, for us, leading us. In Grace to Grace, uh, man, I just felt the power of that song. And so I don't know if you use things like Pandora or Spotify or different things like that, but just do me a, pa- a favor. It's a personal favor. Go home and just plug in the song. It's from Hillsong, Grace to Grace, and let's learn that song together. I promise you, uh, if we fill this room singing that song together, you're going to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, my hope is that you'll take me up on that. Well, this past Monday, I celebrated my 38th birthday. And so one of the things that Emily and I do as a tradition in our family is every time we celebrate a year, whether it's uh, another year, an anniversary in our marriage or another year of life and we celebrate a birthday, we like to look back at that year and point out some of the highlights of that particular year, whether it's something uh, that was happening in our marriage or something that was happening just in our lives. And so this past year, hands down, one of the best things that I could point out is starting this new church. But what made this probably one of the best years of my life is the fact that I get to do it with people that I love. Incredible people like Corey and Daisha and Tyler and John and Robin and so many others. But there is one thing that stands out beyond anything else, and it's really the same highlight each and every year. It's my biggest highlight, and her name is Emily Pennington. Excuse me. Why do I cry so fast? I'm getting old. I don't. She makes me a better father, a better husband, a better friend, a better pastor, and ultimately a better man. And so, why do I take the time to share all of that this morning? Well, I have the microphone. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) No, the reason I take time is because uh, far too often I get more credit than I deserve. I really do. And so as much as I can, I want to deflect that credit to my team and especially my wife. Well, today we do kick off this new series called On the Move. And the idea of this series is to teach through the book of Acts, which we mentioned in the video. And uh, we want to do this in a way that it's not necessarily a verse-by-verse way of teaching through it, but we want to look at a couple chapters at a time, and we want to pull a theme out of those two chapters and help you to understand that theme and what's going on behind the scenes a little bit more thoroughly. And the reason why we called this series On the Move is because this, the book of Acts, is the beginning of the church the beginning of the movement of God, what arguably has been the biggest movement of God or the biggest movement period that our world has ever seen and truly has shaped the global landscape all around us. And today by sitting in this room, all of us are joining in that move together, that movement together. And it's our hope that our little church here in Colorado Springs, our little movement will one day make a global ripple because of our willingness to say, this is not about me, this is about Jesus. And we want to introduce as many people as we can to a life-transforming relationship with him. So let me begin by giving you some historical context on this particular book that will hopefully, hopefully give you some uh, deeper understanding or an overall uh, bigger understanding of not just the book of Acts, but the New Testament as a whole. So let's start with the basics. First, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke was actually a doctor, a physician. So when you read this book, you'll you'll notice a certain type of precision in his writing. And even though Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, he was not one of the original 12 disciples. 
but he did spend a great deal of time with the Apostle Paul. And the time frame that we're going to uh, uncover as we read through this book over the summer is about 30 years. They say it's approximately between AD 30 to AD 62. And just a side note, if you're new to studying the Bible or the New Testament, it's not in chronological order. Either are Paul's letters. So we've got the book of Acts that comes right out after the Gospels. And then we have uh, the epistles of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote. Those are not necessarily in chronological order. And an interesting fact is all of the letters that Paul wrote, you can actually find in the time frame of the book of Acts. And the reason I tell you all that is because it is good to understand and have a backbone to what you're reading. This is why I encourage people who are new to the faith or new to studying their Bible to maybe pick up a study Bible or a life application Bible because it'll be, benefit, ben, excuse me, beneficial for you as you're uh, learning some of the historical context of each book of the Bible that you read. So let's dive into Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn them on or open them up. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 here in just a moment. But here's one of the things, the thing I should say that I want to point out. The theme, the focus that we're going to pull out of these two chapters today is absolutely critical. Many would call it the key ingredient to the church. Now, unfortunately, this critical and essential part of the church is far too often overlooked. And when we try to continue the movement of God, his church, without this key ingredient, it starts to look a lot more like us and a lot less like Jesus. And can I remind us all this morning that the church was always supposed to be a reflection of Jesus through us, but not about us. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, now time out really quick, just so you know, no one really knows who this guy Theophilus is. Luke makes mention of him in his gospel. He also makes mention of him here. Some would say that he's probably a Roman citizen, but we really don't know. So he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. Wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what do we see here? Well, the disciples are told to wait because there's a gift coming, this Holy Spirit. And yes, they've heard about the Holy Spirit. They remember that Jesus brought him up, but they really don't know what that means. And so in this moment, they kind of find themselves in a now what moment. We've all had these, haven't we? These now what moments where we find ourselves venturing into new territory that we haven't been to. And we think to ourselves, man, now what? Maybe for you, you were fired from a job without any warning. Or a business partner or plan goes in an unexpected direction. Maybe you just found out your teenager is sexually active. And you think to yourself, man, now what? Or what happens if you find out that your spouse of 17 years was having multiple affairs and your marriage is coming to an end and you find yourself in new territory? And you think to yourself, now what? Could have been for some of you that you were sitting in a small office and a guy walks in the room dressed in white and he looks at you and he says, it is cancerous. And you think to yourself, now what? 
maybe on a lighter note, you find yourself in a grocery store with your two-year-old. This is actually Tyler's story, uh, his wife's story, Nikki. And she's in the grocery store with her two-year-old, and her two-year-old picks up a piece of raw chicken and throws it in her mouth. Here's mine. Your 10-month-old daughter's outside and finds a big piece of bird poop that looks like a marshmallow and throws it in her mouth. And you think to yourself, and you remember hearing all the really bad things about birds and their poop, and couldn't blame the little girl. It did look like a marshmallow. And you think to yourself, now what? Many years ago, I was this close to opening up a new business. It was a fitness business. Many of you know that my background was in health and fitness. And this organization was going to use things like fitness and boxing and martial arts to rehabilitate and get kids off of the streets and out of gangs and give them a new purpose. And this was two years of my life, completely devoted to this. And we had all the investors in place, and we were about ready to sign contracts. And my key investor backed out. And my dream fell apart. And for many weeks and many months following that, I kept saying to myself, now what? Sometimes in these moments, we're reminded of how much we actually need the Spirit of God in our lives. And over several years of walking with people through their own painful now what moments, where they're forced to charter new territory, I have made a couple observations. I've learned that you can do two things. If you'll lean into the Spirit of God, if you'll lean into trusting God more in those moments, He will show up in your life in ways that you've never had to have Him show up. And therefore, your trust will grow in Him and you'll see Him move in your life in ways that you have never seen Him move. Or you can lean away from God in those moments. And if you lean away, that thing, that moment for you, whatever it was, it, become, it can become a very big obstacle that will at some point feel like it's just overwhelming and potentially inhibit your ability to overcome it. I should mention that one of the main reasons that I got into full-time ministry and that I stand right here right now is because that business venture failed. In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan says, why would we need to experience the comforter, also known, the Holy, known as the Holy Spirit, if our lives are already comfortable? Now, I'm not trying to make the case that God wants or makes us have uncomfortable moments. Maybe he does sometimes. All I'm saying is that his spirit wants to guide us in those uncomfortable now what moments because it's always been his desire to be with us, always, to not leave us alone, especially, especially in those now what moments. And even as the disciples are experiencing their own now what moment, as they're waiting for this gift that was promised to come, that they've heard about, they really don't know what that means, but they're remembering the words of Jesus in this moment. And I think it would be really important for all of us to remember these very same words. Let's pick up in John chapter 14. He says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Guys, listen, please listen to this last part. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And in Acts chapter 2, we actually get a front row seat to see what this promised Holy Spirit looks like. 
And for the first time, we actually get to see people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the church begins to take on her shape. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together, as you can imagine, in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And a time out really quick, I am not going to be able to give an exhaustive approach to the Holy Spirit today, but I do want to, I want to just pivot off this moment really quick, because this is the first time that we're introduced to this idea of speaking in tongues. And uh, depending on different churches that you go to, and I'm not, I'm not, we're not in the habit of throwing other churches under the bus, but you'll get a lot of different teaching on the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But in this particular context, the very first time that we're introduced to speaking in tongues, what we're reading is actually that these were known languages given to the apostles because God is beginning his movement. He's beginning his church. And you got to keep in mind, these guys are getting ready to go to places that they've never been with people that speak languages that they've never spoken, and God is giving them the ability to speak in other languages so they can preach the gospel everywhere they go. That was the original setting for speaking in tongues. I promise you one day we will come back and cover the gifts of the Holy Spirit in more depth. We just don't have time to do that today. Let me pick up in verse 11. We hear them declaring wonders of God in our own languages, in other tongues, And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. Because this is very, very important. What does this mean? Well, for the Jews who were in the crowd, to witness all of this, it meant that they were wrong. Because remember, many of these Jews that are observing all of these things taking place are the very same Jews that were in a crowd yelling for Jesus to be crucified. And now they're starting to understand this guy, Jesus, he's actually who he said he was. We messed up. But what does this mean for us? Let's just look at that question and spend the rest of our time together thinking through if Jesus really is who he said he was. And he really sent that promised gift that we heard about. And that gift can actually be given to us. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? And so, again, I can't give you an exhaustive approach to the Holy Spirit this morning. But here's what I want to do. I want to give you an acronym, SEC, also known as the best college conference in the nation. There's some holy people in this room. That's good to hear. And what I want to do with this acronym, SEC, is give you three critical components to the Holy Spirit that each of us needs to be very, very aware of. So let's start with S. The Holy Spirit seals your salvation. In Ephesians 1, we read this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise 
of his glory. Let me break this down for us really quickly. Guys, all of us have sin in our life. All of us needed Jesus to die for that sin. And it wasn't just Jesus dying for that sin, but Jesus had to actually defeat death. And we believe that he did, that he was resurrected. He walked away from the grave. And by doing that, he now gives us the opportunity to have his very own spirit come and take residence in our life. And when he does that, by putting your faith in Christ and him giving you that gift, now the Father, when he looks at you, He doesn't just see you, and he doesn't see your sin. He actually sees his son inside of you. That seals your salvation. That is what actually gets us into heaven. That is what allows us to be in the presence of the Father one day. So what does the Holy Spirit mean to me and to you? It means that our salvation is secure. And you're still going to screw up. And you're still going to mess up. And we don't have to worry about that we will will work our way out of the favor of God where it's like, hey, was that mistake too big of a mistake? Am I now not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? No, God says, I have given that to you to seal your salvation and it is secure. So even when we do things sometimes that we shouldn't do and maybe it ticks off God or we think it ticks off God, God still wants us to move in his direction and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but he looks at you and says, no, listen, 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 listen. Your salvation is secure. That can't be taken from you because you made a bad mistake. Once you, once you put your faith in my son Jesus and you decide to follow him, your salvation is secure. Let's look at the, the letter E. E stands for encourages us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, hear that again, we're going to come back to this several times. Since we are now living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When you look at that list, throw up the the fruits back up there real quick, Vicki. When you look at that list, you're probably like me. And you think, man... I need more of that, whatever that one is. It could be three or four. Maybe it's all of them for some of you. Man, I really could use some of that in my life. And do you understand that when God gives you his spirit, by putting your faith in his son Jesus, he is trying to produce these things inside of you. He's partnering with you so that this actually becomes a fruit. It becomes the product of what comes out of your life on a consistent basis. God is partnering with you to help these things become a reality. And so when I look at this list, let's start with love. I could grow in love more every day until the day that God brings me home. And it still wouldn't be enough if you ask me. I could use more joy in my life, even in the simple things. Learning how to enjoy the smaller things in life. I could use the peace of God oftentimes, especially as leading this church. Guys, leading a church is not easy. And needing the peace of God to understand, especially when we make big monumental decisions, that God's peace is with us, that we're making the right decisions. Patience. Man, I could really use a lot more patience when it comes to how I interact with my kids. Kindness. I think of all the strangers that I meet on a daily basis. People who I don't know, but maybe if I just gave them a moment. If I saw them, we talk about this a lot here at Trace. If I actually just took a moment and saw them and thought to myself, God, is there a way I can leave a trace of your love in this person's life? Goodness. 
the kind of goodness that comes at night when Emily and I turn the lights off and the kids are in bed. You know what I'm saying? And based on all those compliments I gave her earlier, there better be some goodness tonight. So I'm just, sorry, this is church. What am I saying? This is, sorry, not really. Faithfulness. (laughs) Come back, come back, come back, come back. Faithfulness. Even in the small things, right? All the times where God tries to get our attention. Sometimes he says, shut up, stop talking, and listen. Other times he says, hey, I want you to go talk to that person. Other times he says, hey, I want you to give this much money, not to the church, to somebody else. I want you to help that person out. Just being faithful in the small things the Spirit of God is constantly trying to show us. Gentleness. When it comes to the pain and suffering. that we see far too often around us. And unfortunately, I'm watching our culture become desensitized to that pain because we see it all the time on the news, on the internet. But man, I hope we're a church that's gentle when it comes to the brokenness around us. Self-control. Every time I walk by a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, yeah, I mean, those things are sent from heaven, right? Or from hell, I guess it depends on what you, how you look at it, but... Uh, Don't miss this. Friends, it is possible to have the Spirit of God in your life, but avoid growing in these areas. It is. And it doesn't mean the Spirit still doesn't live in you. It just means you've decided to ignore Him. He wants to produce these things in your life. And so if you're not seeing how those are growing in your life, I just want to make a suggestion to you this morning that you may not be walking in the Spirit. You might just be walking your own way. So let me ask you that rhetorical question Does it feel like you're walking in the Spirit? Do you feel like these are areas that you're desiring to grow in because the Spirit of God that's given to you as a gift by putting your faith in His Son, Jesus, this is what He's trying to accomplish in all of our lives. Maybe it's time you stop walking your own way and you start walking with Him because that means you can have more joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control more than you ever thought. But it is your move your move. He already made his move. And his move was by fulfilling the promise to give you his spirit. Why don't you start walking in his spirit and stop walking your own way? Let's look at the last one. C, convicts you. Galatians 5, he says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit It gives us desires or convictions that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, don't miss this, these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. There's a statement that I make all the time when I'm meeting with guys and trying to help them put some deeper principles of discipleship in their life, and it's a simple statement. The best of intentions will get you at this exact same place at this exact same time next year being the exact same person. That's what the best of intentions will do and get you. But are we listening to the convictions of God and walking with him in his spirit? I was fortunate to be raised in a Christian home. And so when I was younger, I was introduced to Jesus at a very young age. And I remember going to summer camp. Some of our students were excited. Our students are going to summer camp this summer. Um, But I was 10 years old at a summer camp when I finally gave my, my life to Jesus. And then I came home 
and I got baptized in my local church. And I always believed, I've always believed in Jesus. I've never turned my back on that belief. But as the years went on into my teenage years and closer into college, I began to drift away from walking in the Spirit and started to embrace my sinful desires. And the more that I did that, the way that I've explained this in the past, it was almost like I was stiff-arming the Holy Spirit because it wasn't as if I didn't hear the Holy Spirit's guidance in my life, because I did. I knew when I was doing wrong, and I just remember this feeling where I was just like, yeah, 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 later. Later. And then I got to the point where there was so much destruction happening in my life because I was embracing my sinful desires. I can remember on more than one, too many occasions, I should say, where I was lying down in a bed, stoned and drunk out of my mind, and I would say the same prayer every single time. God, I know this is not what you want for me. I know it. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, get me to where you want me to be. I don't know how many times I said that prayer, and unfortunately that took two DUIs and ending up in jail for a few days before he finally got my attention and snapped me out of it. Guys, I don't want it to take a tragedy or a very unfortunate circumstance before you will open your eyes and listen to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. I can't speak for every one of you, but all of you, if not now, you will in the future. You will feel the convictions of God come in your direction. And again, God doesn't use guilt, right? We've covered this before in the past. But as you drift, and we all drift, as you drift away from where God actually wants you in your life, you're going to feel something. And you're going to feel something because he gave you that gift, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is trying to say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 come back in this direction. That's not what God wants for your life. This is what we want for your life. And you can stiff army if you want. It's your choice. I'll do that later. Someday. Someday I'll follow God. Someday I'll make the decisions that I know he wants me to make. But for now, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And the Bible talks about the longer you do that, the more your heart becomes hardened to his ways. So what if you make, listen, listen, what if you make, when it comes to walking with God and letting the Spirit lead your life and walking in the Spirit, what if you made someday, today? Leads me to my one thing. When it comes to letting the Spirit of God lead your life, make someday, today. I want to read you something that Francis Chan wrote in his book, Forgotten God. And this book is all about how we've forgotten the Holy Spirit's role in our life. And I don't want you to miss what he says here because it is incredibly impactful. Listen what he says. I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. It's a weird statement, isn't it? God cares more about our response to the Spirit's leading today in this moment than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree which, in which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. It's easy to use the phrase God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much, it's much less demanding to think about God's will for your, your future than it is to ask Him what He wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safer to commit to following Him someday instead of today. Church, if you don't know this about me, 
You're going to learn this really quick. I'm the kind of guy and the kind of leader that says, screw playing it safe. I don't want to lead a church full of safe Christians. I want to lead a church full of sacrificial Christians that are walking in the spirit of God. People who understand that our time here is limited, but it is also precious. We have the opportunity to push on this flywheel of this movement called the church, giving it more momentum because of our willingness to say yes to walking in the spirit today, not someday. And friends, the same Spirit of God that helped get the church, the biggest movement that we will ever see, that same Spirit that got the church going 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that will always be at the center of this church, whether we meet here or anywhere else. So let me beg you one more time. When it comes to letting the Spirit of God lead your life, please make someday today. Let me pray for us. Well, God, too many of us have learned this technique of stiff-arming your Holy Spirit in our life. And yes, we feel you and we hear what you're telling us and we know that sometimes the directions that we're going aren't the directions you want us to go and we, we kind of push you out, understanding that maybe, maybe someday, maybe someday, I'll make those changes and start moving in your direction. Father, I pray that whatever it is for each and every individual in this room, whatever it is that would help them to make someday today, whatever it is that's causing them to drift in their life and move away from your calling and your convictions in their life, God, that you would make it completely aware, that you would make them completely aware to what that is. And Father, partner with them. Remind them that you didn't leave them to do this alone, that you came to them, that you came to us through the promised Holy Spirit. You didn't call us to do this alone, and you want to partner with us, producing things like what we read with the fruits of the Spirit, and you want to help us get our lives on a path that will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I can speak for everyone when I say we'd like more of that in our lives. So, Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for sealing our salvation where we don't have to feel like if we've done enough to earn your favor and your love, that the Spirit seals that for us. Thanks for empowering us, and thanks for convicting us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.